First John. It's back there towards Revelation. <coughs> Homework. <laughs> I got Ted served up. <laughs> As you read through First John this week, I want you to make a list about the things that it talks about involving what you know, what you do know, what you may know, that you should know. I lost count of how many times the word know appears in this little letter. I think it was around 40. Now, some of those repeat, and so I made me a list. I won't tell you how many I found, but we can compare notes Wednesday and Sunday to how many things, discrete things, should we know, or that we may know, or that we should know. All right. This book has been, or this letter, book, the way you want to refer to it, has been referred to as a book of assurances. Um, to assure you of some things. Right. So that's your that's your teaser and your homework. Okay. That you may know. Alright. The writer, Apostle John. How do we know? He doesn't mention himself by name, right? We know from last week. He's he's reticent to do that. Like the whole Gospel of John, he referred to himself kind of indirectly as that, that disciple whom the Lord loved. That's a pretty good name. Y'all know that that can apply for each of you too? That's right. The disciple who the Lord loved. Alright. But how do we know? Well, let's do some comparison. We'll just look at verses 1 and 2. And then we'll go look at the Gospel of John in the first five verses, and we'll see if we see any patterns. First Epistle of John, chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. That which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. So that which was from the beginning of the word of life. For the life was manifested, which means revealed. For the life was manifested, and we have seen it, and bear witness, and show unto you that eternal life. That which was from the beginning, that word of life, that eternal life, which was with the Father, and was manifested on to us. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ. The Lord. The Word. The Word. Life. Eternal life. Later down in verse 5, it would also add in the element of light. We'll just accept that for right now. Let's go over to the Gospel of John and read how he began his Gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ. Most of the others started, you know, 
the beginning of Jesus, um, back with his birth or the beginning of his ministry. The Apostle John goes a little bit farther back. Gospel of John, verse 1, chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by Him. And without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life. And the life was the light of men. And the light shined in darkness, and the darkness comprehended it not. Jump down to verse 14, just to make it real explicit who the Word is. Verse 14, And the Word was made flesh, and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. Who's he talking about? Jesus Christ, the Son of the Father, the eternal Son of God, the Word, the second person in the Trinity. Sounds, sounds like a very similar writing style. Do you agree? Um, referring to him as the Word and the life. In him was life and in the beginning. If you want that just uh, explicitly, the connection between the Word and and Jesus being the second person. Go back to 1 John and jump over to the 5th chapter. First John chapter 5. Verse 7. For there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. You want to know a verse that's missing from most modern translations? This one. They will merge. There are three that testify. Down with verse 8. They'll skip everything until it says... Um, in earth, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. The doctrine of the divinity has been under attack always. <laughs> Since it was really revealed by Christ and spoken in the New Testament, there have been those who have denied it. All right, we looked last week at the second epistle of John, and he was warning the elect lady there, he's writing a letter to, of don't receive those into your house that deny that Jesus Christ had come in the flesh. They were denying that Jesus was God, that he would come as a man. They denied um, that key piece. They said, don't, don't have anything to do with them. Okay? Well, that's been going on, I mean, the Council of Nice was, what, 400 AD? I mean, it was, it was a long time ago that the first... You know, kind of formal gathering of the church folks got together to deal with a, a heresy called Arianism, which was basically saying that God created Jesus. That error continues among different groups today. Okay. 
He's equal. He is God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Word, and the Holy Ghost. These three are one. Now, their rationale for dropping it out of modern translations is they can't find it in a Greek text that's a little older than 1400. <coughs> but it's been in all the Latin translations of the Vulgate. Um, they've got goes going back to 400 A.D. Um, and so this is part of the reason that we use the King James is because the manuscripts that support it um, are better. They don't lose things, and they're not as inconsistent as these pieces of older um, texts. They're older, but they're incomplete, and there's gaps, and they they conflict with each other. Um, And so, just give you that as an example. It's neither here nor there for our purposes today of looking at 1 John, but who's the Word? Where's the Son? Who's the Son? Jesus. Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Anointed, the Righteous. This is all the same person. And so in John's writing style, he begins his letters talking about the Word, the eternal God. So, that's who it's from. Who's it to? Does it say to the church at so-and-so? <coughs> nope. Does it really say when it was written? Nope. Now, I've got you at a disadvantage. I've read this a whole bunch this week, and y'all probably have not, so, but I'll give you a clue. It doesn't. <laughs> so what do we know? Well, I've got two different clues about our audience. One is a win. Go over to chapter 2 and verse 18. It says, Little children, it is the last time. And as you have heard that the Antichrist shall come, that Antichrist shall come, even now there are many Antichrists, whereby we know that it is the last time. That word time means hour, and that can be literally or figuratively, but in a sense, people are wondering, oh, when are the last days coming? Well, they started (laughs) back in the Apostle John's day. You know, he was there. He walked with Christ. He handled him. He, he, he held his hands. He seen him. He saw him ascend up. And not long after, there were those who came who tried to oppose Christ. That he's not the Christ who would lie and stand contrary to him, to be adversaries to Christ. Welcome to the last days. They've been going on a long time. <laughs> okay? So don't get, don't get bit out of shape or upset if someone starts saying, Oh, it's last days are coming. They're already here. And the point of all that is that there's nothing left to be done. Okay? The biggest moment in history was when Christ came into this world. When Jesus hid his glory, came to be born of a virgin. And we believe that. Right? You go to a seminary, a lot of folks teach who teach future preachers don't even believe that. Born of a virgin lived a sinless life, not a single spot, and voluntarily laid down his life for his people, saying about being mighty to save, and he actually saved them. (laughs) What? There's no hand-wringing. There's no worrying. There's no, oh my, I hope I'm good enough. This is from Jesus' perspective. He's mighty to save. And he did. This is the most important moment in history. He has died and after three days, you have him ascending 
He's resurrected. He shows himself for 40 days. And then he ascends back up to sit on the right hand of the Father, actively interceding on your behalf as a mediator. So that when you go before the throne, Jesus can say, yes, that's one of mine. And yes, he's a sinner, except for I paid for that sin. He's clean. He's washed. He's mine. Right? Over and over and over and over again. Right? And there's nothing left to be done except for him to come back and claim that which is already his. So, are we in the last age? Yeah! We're not waiting for anything else other than the Lord to come. Right? That's, that's where we're at. All right? You don't have to say, oh, there's going to be some other thing that has to be accomplished. It's not. Right? It was on the cross. One of those great things that he said is, it is finished. All right? So, we are in the last days. So, when was this letter written? In the last days. Does that narrow it down a whole bunch? No. John was still alive. Um, so, who's his audience to? What can we, what can we learn about this? Because this matters, right? Having the context of the book matters in how you read and understand it. Right? If this book was written to unbelievers, you would have a different understanding about what he's writing. But the way I phrase that, you can probably guess, is it written to unbelievers? Oh, and I'm going to establish that for you in a few verses, and there's more. But So go to 1 John chapter 2 and start in verse 13. I write unto you fathers, and this could be uh, the aged, the mature in the church, the spiritually mature, it could be the older men. Um, I write unto you fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning. Known. I write unto you so you would know him? No, you already know him. Who's him from the beginning? Christ, right? The Word. The one who was there at the beginning with the Father and all things were created by him. You've known him. I write unto you, young men, because you have overcome the wicked one. Does that sound like something that an unbeliever could do? No. I write unto you, little children, because ye have known the Father. Verse 14, I write unto you, fathers, because ye have known him that is from the beginning... I write unto you, young men, because ye are strong, and the word of God abideth in you, and ye have overcome the wicked one. Are any of those things true for an unbeliever? No, they're not. Jump down to verse 20. 1 John chapter 2, verse 20. The context is talking about those who had walked with them for a time and gone away and shown that they, they weren't actually followers says, but you, you, ye, the audience of this letter, ye have an unction from the Holy One. Y'all ever heard somebody pray that? Kind of an old school prayer. I have an unction. And you go, what does that mean? It means an anointing. It means something has been poured out upon you. What is it specific? You, reader of this letter, you here in the pews, ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. What kind of anointing do you have from the Holy One? The Holy Spirit. The indwelling Holy Spirit. That act of regeneration, the giving of new life and new birth by God. The Holy Spirit He gives it to His people and it dwells with them for forever and by it it teaches you. It says you know all things. Whoa. That probably is referring to you know the gospel. 
right? That which he's written into your heart, and then probably more of the way he's teaching this, you, you, you substantively know who Jesus Christ is and what he's done. I have not written unto you because you know not the truth, but because you know it. Can that get any more clear? So I didn't write to you because you didn't know, but because you do know, and that no lie is of the truth. All right? We'll just beat this horse, go over to chapter 3. Verse 2. Beloved, now are we the sons of God. Could a believer, could an unbeliever understand at all what that meant? Right. Going down to verse 5. Going to that, you know, know all things, you know the truth. And ye know that he was manifested. Who's the he? Jesus Christ. That he was manifested, revealed, to take away our sins, and in him is no sin. Only a believer knows that. Jesus had no sin. And he was revealed to take away sin. He wasn't created to take away sin. He was revealed. He was not created. He was always, always God. All right? And let's just hit one more just for the sake of... Well, I think I wrote down the wrong verse. Let me find it. Five. Chapter 5, verse 13. If that other one wasn't clear enough for you, this one this is, this is about as clear as it gets. These things I write unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Who is his audience? Those that believe on the Son of God. Now, there's a bunch of things that he's going to teach on here, but this is one that you may. That ye may know that ye have eternal life. A book of assurances. Any of y'all ever doubted if you were a child of God? If you've ever wondered, do I really have eternal life dwelling in me? That's part of the reason this book is written. That you who believe, that you may know, that you may sink your teeth into it, that you know that you have eternal life, and that you may believe on the name of the Son of God. You're like, what? You that do believe may believe. Y'all, doubts happen. We need to be re-taught, reconfirmed, re-focusing, re-centering on the Lord really daily. Right? Because you're going to have to battle against an old man that says, I know what you are. He don't love you. Right? And that's really just Satan's goadings. Right? Can Satan undo anything Christ has done? No. no. But can he make you pretty miserable in the meantime? Yes. Yeah! And if you are not on your guard, and not in the Word, and not keeping yourself and guarding your heart, and your mind, and your ears, you can have a pretty sorry week. Or day, or month, or year. And so, this is a very 
practical book. This is not teaching you what the gospel is. This is written to those who already know the gospel. And you're still waiting for Christ to come back. It's the last days. That's what we're waiting for. But you got to live now. And what does that look like for a believer? And what does it not look like? And if you're getting your perspective based on your phones and TVs and radio, whatever, whatever form of medium you, media you choose to consume, it's going to be distorted from the truth of the Word. You cannot counteract 20 hours a day of worldly media with 10 minutes of Scripture. Right? Garbage in, garbage out. You heard that principle? Be careful, little eyes, what you see. Be careful, little ears, what you hear. There's a father up above looking down in tender love. So be careful, little eyes, what you see. Right? A little children's song. A lot of truth in that. For us adults. <laughs> Children, too. All right. So, that's the end of all my notes. So now we're just going to go look at it. <laughs> I want to be able to find those scriptures a little bit faster without just kind of glancing through. Alright, so the first epistle of John, written by the Apostle John. We can see the similar writing style, focusing on the Word, focusing on the duration of Jesus being more than just the time when He was here and revealed, but the eternal Son of God. Um, and then writing to believers, those who, who know about Him, who heard about Him, who already believe on Him, and yet there's some information you need to know, and there are some things that you should know, and some things you need to be reminded about. And so I don't know how long it's going to take us to get through 1 John. But we're going to start right now. So, 1 John chapter 1. That which was from the beginning. Who's that? Christ. Jesus Christ. Referred to as of the word of life. The writer here knows something about Jesus Christ. Something that you and I can't say that we do yet. That which was from the beginning of the word of life. That which was the beginning which we have heard. Man, that's something special about being an apostle, right? You got to physically, with these old natural ears, hear the voice of the Son of God teaching. Woo! What a day. That's something I don't think about, right? I think about seeing Him. Wow! I'm a very visual person, but I get to hear His voice. Now, in a sense... We've all, who are born again, already heard His voice. Because the dead hear the voice of the Son of God and they live. Right? That new birth, that's of Him. But you'll be able to hear the voice of God. Which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes. They were able to look upon the Son of God. They walked with Him three, three and a half some odd years they were following him around the country, um, not in the best accommodations, right? Basically camping. You know, there'd be some folks who'd let them come in at times, but they were. This was. But who were they with? They were with the Lord. They were live with the Christ. That which we have heard, which we have seen, which we have looked upon, which our hands have handled. Tactile learning, right? Where was the Apostle John 
at the Lord's Supper. He was leaning on the breast, on the chest of Jesus Christ. What do you think he heard? Heartbeat of the Son of God. His lungs filling. What? It's our Lord. This is not imagination. This is not just some panacea for the masses. That's what you know cynics would describe religion as, right? Just something to keep us poor, ignorant folks quiet. This is real. This is the person. And, and the writer here has already done these things. How special. Y'all, we will also be able to. Our hands have handled that which was from the beginning, which we've heard, we've seen with our eyes, we've looked upon, and our hands have handled of the word of life. Aren't you glad that Jesus didn't come as a word of death? And I, I, I believe it was old, old John here with his brother when they got kind of a poor reception at one of the cities in Samaria. I said, Lord, can we bring down fire on them? You know, like Elijah did? You don't know what spirit you're with. The Son of God didn't come to destroy, but to save. And I'm paraphrasing there. You can go look at it. That was not the point of why he was there. right? He came to save his people. And when he comes back, he's going to wipe away all unrighteousness. And it will not abide. Neither will heaven or earth. Everything will depart. And only that which is made new and righteous and pure, will remain. He is the word of life. For the life was manifested. It was already alive. wasn't created, but revealed. <clears throat> revealed when he came and took on human flesh, even though he thought it not robbery to be equal with God. And we have seen it. And bear witness. It's mean to witness. It means to testify. I mean, like if I call you up to court, I want you to tell me what happened. Have you seen him? Yeah, I saw him. I heard him. I handled him. Hugged his neck. They bear witness of that life which was manifested, which was with the Father. No man can know the Father except the Son. There's a special unity between the Father, the Son, and the Word that you and I cannot understand. (laughs) But it's amazing! It was with the Father and was manifested unto us. Now, Apostle John and the other apostles and those who got to physically see that was a special revealing. But do you know that he's also been manifested unto you? Revealed unto you in your heart and in that quickened spirit within. 
Thomas didn't see him immediately after he was resurrected. And he was a little stubborn, right? The other saw him, and he wasn't with him. I wonder why he wasn't with him. He didn't come to church that day. I don't know what they were doing, but he didn't see him. I'm not going to believe it. Not unless I can physically take my finger and put it in that hole in his hand. And heck, just punch his whole, my whole hand into his side where he had been pierced. That's kind of some irreverent language, right? What's he saying? I don't believe it. And then what happened? Jesus came. He called him out. <laughs> he said, I'm here. Go ahead. Stick hand in. Is it getting too hot? Well, close the door and turn on the air. I'm just saving a little money. <laughs> Um, he said, Thomas, you believe now that you've seen. He said, but blessed are they, blessed are they who believe and have not seen. That's us. The Lord says we're blessed. He has manifested himself to us. That's why you are able to believe. All right, so here you have an eyewitness account verifying, who's willing to say, I've seen this, I've seen the Christ. Alright? And that which we have seen, and declare we unto you. He says, I've told you this. This is I, I believe this is written after the, the Gospel of John was written. Because that's where he's predominantly saying all those things, right? This is what we've seen, this is what we declare, this is what, what's happened, right? That which we have seen and heard, declare we unto you. Why? Why? What's the purpose? That ye also may have fellowship with us. Is there a greater fellowship among believers the more they know about their Lord? Yeah! There is... When you have folks who understand and believe the gospel versus those who believe... If you believe 100% together, there is a very close fellowship that you can have. A lot closer than if you've got someone who believes eh, 75% of it or 50% or none of it, right? Can't be fellowship with that. Can two walk together except they be agreed? Right, and so he is saying, these are the things that we've seen and heard. We're telling you that you can have fellowship with us. That you may also have fellowship with us. And why is it so important to have fellowship with us? Because we've got fellowship with the Father. And we want you to have that same fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Now, who's He writing to? Believers! Believers are already born again. And so they already have a relationship, right, with the Father. They already know on some level who Jesus Christ is. And yet here, He wants them to have fellowship. Okay. We talk about lunchtime. It's time of food and fellowship, right? Can you participate in that food and fellowship if you're not sitting there? <laughs> right. So this is a very practical relationship of how do you spend time walking with the Lord now? This doesn't change the fact that Jesus saved you. He did. 
doesn't change the fact that you're born again. You are. You're a believer. But how are you walking now? He says, I'm saying these things so you'll have fellowship with us as other believers. And truly, the important part of that fellowship is that we're having fellowship with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. Okay? I saw a meme on Facebook. Right? I think it was a Vody Bachman quote, right? It says, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian. Okay? True enough. But it's like a marriage. If you don't show up in your marriage, if you don't come home, it will affect that relationship. And I just butchered the quote. But that's the idea. It's the, the fellowship between a husband and wife. If husband is gone 11 months out of 12, there'll be a change in that fellowship, in that walk one with another. Right? And so we need to be mindful about how our walk with the Lord is going. Are we fellowshipping with Him? Or are we withdrawing ourselves? Or worse, trying to keep God at arm's distance so we can do what we really want to do anyway. Alright? So that's the reason he's writing. Now hang on to that. That's the reason for the letter. That you may have fellowship with us so that we can walk together in one accord. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with the Son, Jesus Christ. So, the writer and you and I as believers, we need to be walking with the Lord, with the Father, with the Son, and with each other. Okay? And if that's the case, guess what? These things we write unto you, that your joy may be full. How is your joy full? When you're walking in fellowship with the Lord. When you're walking in fellowship with your, with your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And you're all walking together, that your joy may be full. Okay? This then is the message which we've heard of him, and declare unto you. Alright? So, big ticket point. I'm telling, I'm declaring some things to you that we've seen and heard, and here's one of them. Write it down. This is the message which we've heard of him, and declare, declare unto you that God is light. And in him is no darkness at all. Okay? This is not a physics lesson. Okay? This is talking about what we do when we choose to walk in darkness. Okay. And the, the rest of the letter is going to expand on that concept of what is darkness. One example is, he that uh, ab- loveth his brother abideth in the light. So what is a, what is a behavior that walks in the light? <coughs> Love. Actively loving your brother. He that hateth his brother. And that is not limited to your natural family, right? Jesus says to love our neighbors, even our enemies, right? That hatred, he that hateth his brother is in darkness and walketh in darkness and knoweth not whither he goeth because the darkness hath blinded his eyes. Okay? It is easy for us to slip into dark paths. This is a calling it back to your attention. Here's your basic principle. There's no darkness with God. Agreed? So when you engage in darkness, don't blame God. 
And certainly don't try and say, this pleases God. We can build up a lot of self-justifications for whatever it is we want to do. But it doesn't mean it pleases God. It doesn't mean that He has anything to do with it, right? He is light. God is light, and in Him is no darkness. Another way of saying this is that God is holy, and there is no unrighteousness with Him. You say, well, that's kind of obvious. Yes, it is. Hang on to it. Because the rest of this feeds from that truth, that basic principle. God is light, and Him is no darkness. And then it goes into, okay, well, what does that look like in our life? If, hypothetical, if we say we have fellowship with Him, all right, I am saying, I have fellowship with God, I am walking with God, and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Now, notice the pronoun there. What's the pronoun? We. This is not a they. If they say, then they are liars. This is not talking about the world. We. We get it? We need to be on guard. If we say, yes, I'm a Christian. Yes, I'm a follower of Christ. And yet, I'm walking in darkness. Am I really having fellowship with God? No. I've made myself a liar. What happens? I need to nod my head. Yes? This is a big deal. And do not the truth. We're not living out the truth. But, verse 7, counterpoint, if we walk in the light as He is in the light. Again, your definition of light and what light looks like, it all goes back to Him, to Jesus, to Christ, that chief cornerstone, the one who marks what is straight and what is upright, Him. If we walk in the light as He is in the light, we have fellowship one with another. That, the one with another is a repetition of Greek words, but basically means each and other. We've got a mutual fellowship with the Lord. Right? I don't feel very close to the Lord right now. He hasn't changed. Draw an eye to Him. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, right? Go over and look at James, right? If you want to have a closer walk with the Lord, then walk as He walks. Look at his pattern and do that. Walk in the light. If we walk in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Wait, if I'm walking in the light, what do I mean to have sin? Are you going to continue to have sin? Yes, you are. Does that mean I should give up and just walk in the darkness? No! No! Walk in the light. Strive to walk in the light. Stay in the light. And recognize that in that light, you still got fellowship with the Lord. And as you sin, His blood is continually cleansing you from your sins. The blood of Jesus, His Son, cleanses us from all sins. That verb there in cleansing, present. It's ongoing. Okay? Now, on the cross, 
Your sins were paid for and they were put away. Agreed? Agreed. Far as the east is from the west. But as you're living and you're actively performing that sin and then you're repenting of it, this cleansing lets you know that that's paid for too. And that fellowship can continue. Okay? That's not abiding and wallowing in that sin. Didn't, Jesus didn't say, come as you are and don't change. He said, come unto me, all ye sinners, and repent. <laughs> right? Be holy as I am holy. This doesn't make you children of God. This is what children of God should act like. And this is how you will have a closer relationship with the Son and with the Father and with your brothers and sisters. This is about fellowship. This is about how we interact on that day-to-day basis. Drawing close to Him. He cleanses us from all sin. Now he gives us another hypothetical. If we say we have no sin, okay, so I'm walking in the light. I don't need the blood to cleanse me. I have no sin. You're lying. (laughs) You're confused. You're self-righteous. You can't get there. Right? That's one of the things we're yearning for. We're looking for to when this mortal corrupt body, with old man included, is going to be changed. Old man's... He's gone, and you get a perfect body that doesn't have any inkling of sin anymore, not even a desire. All right? We're yearning for that. And so this is not getting so wrapped up in our own self-righteousness of, yes, I am walking in the light. What do you mean? I, uh, no, I have no sin. I'm not like this person over here. Right? If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Okay? To deceive yourselves means you might actually believe that. And I had a comment, I was preaching down at Mars Hill, and somebody came up to me, and I had made some offhand remark and thing about me not being perfect and whatever, and the guy said, well, that's, that's pretty bold. You know, I was listening to this other preacher there. He said he hadn't sinned in three and a half years. <laughs> he deceived himself. Right? Don't deceive yourself. Don't go, don't go to that other ditch. All right? Recognize... We continue to be sinners. It's not okay to abide in sin and pursue that, but recognize that we need daily repentance and confession, and the Lord cleanses us. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. Right? One's we're not walking in the truth, the other truth is not in you. If we confess our sins, again, talking about daily relationship and, and fellowship with the Lord, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You are able to continue to go and walk in the light and have that fellowship with Him each day, even though you're yet sinners. And sin is just any transgression of law, anything that's not holy, anything that doesn't please God, whether that's something you do with your hand and body or comes out of your mouth or just stays in your head. Is that example of a he that hateth his brother, does that have to be shown? That can just be in your heart. Okay? If we confess our sins, who are we confessing to? Him! Right? The one that we want to have fellowship with. Confessing to the Father, and the Son is interceding on our behalf, right? He is faithful and just. Faithful. I'll ever have someone who's not faithful. You kind of wonder if something's actually going to follow through. 
Jesus is not that way. He's faithful. He says he will. He will, will, right? Let your yay be yay and your nay be nay with him. If he says yes, it's yes. If he says no, it's always no. (laughs) Okay? He is just, he is faithful and just. Wow. That's interesting that just is in there. Why is it just for him to forgive your sins? They're already paid for. Right? He is not going to require double payment. And so really, as you're confessing them and you were repenting of the rebellion that you were in, whatever it is you were doing when you're sinning, guess who you're rebelling against? God. You're saying, my way's better. And so when you confess, you're repenting of that rebellion and, and whatever that particular sin is, and you're coming back and asking for his repentance, well, forgiveness for it, right? And he's reminding you, yes. That one's paid for, too. I still love you, right? Sometimes my children, they'll tell you that when I, when I get on to them, I kind of have a spiel. And sometimes I, I heard one say that he'd rather have a, a whooping than a talking to. <laughs> talking to's hurt worse. But at the end of it, I always try to remind them that I still love you. I will always love you. You will always be your, my son. I will always be your father. Even when you make mistakes, I will still love you. I will still continue to correct you. Because I love you, right? Kids, do I say that? Yes, right? I am reminding them that the relationship I have with them does not change. But when they're in open rebellion to me, the fellowship we have can get strained, right? So, talking about the fellowship that we have, that ongoing. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, okay, so again, the other guy says we we have no sin. This one says, I have not sinned. Like, I don't want to confess that one to the Lord because I I didn't sin. We make him a liar because he said, yes, you did. (laughs) And his word is not in us, okay? So, his word is not in us. What can the word do? Convict you of your sins, right? Show you the areas where you think, yeah, I'm doing pretty good. Sometimes those blind spots are the ones where we got some pretty gaping holes, right? Even if it's just, and I say just, but an invisible one, right? Like pride, ego, unmercifulness, right? We say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. Because guess what? He knows us better than we know ourselves. You know, it's possible to put on rose-colored glasses when thinking about yourself. God doesn't have a pair. (laughs) Right? He can separate us from our mind to our hearts between the discerning of the soul and spirit. He's got it down to beyond the molecular level. He knows what you know and what you think and what you do and what you've done. Right? There's no hiding it. Sometimes with mom and daddy, you may get away with it. Sometimes for a day or two, sometimes indefinitely, but there's no hiding it from the Lord, right? And so, what is one of the aspects that we'll have if we are consistently desiring and seeking fellowship with the Lord? It's going to Him daily with this confession of our sins, which is one, the acknowledging that they exist. Because if you won't even do that, you're calling God a liar. 
And two, if you don't believe that they're there, then you're deceived and you need to go examine his word and look a little closer. Right? Because who in here is perfectly holy? Yeah, I didn't see any hands come, right? We're not there yet. We're looking forward to that. And that's part of the reason that Jesus Christ was the perfect sacrifice, because he had no spot, no blemish, not a one, not a single backtalk. When his human parents, who were probably short on temper and, and made mistakes parenting, right? His mom and his stepdaddy didn't say they were perfect by any stretch. But Jesus was perfect throughout it. He was the perfect sacrifice. That's what we're looking for. That's the pattern. That's the model to walk as he walks in the light. Go just a little bit farther. The thread continues here. It says, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. My little children, these things I write unto you, that you sin not. Well, again, there's a lot of purposes in this letter. This will tell you, right? I write these things unto you, that your joy may be full, that you may have fellowship with us. And if you're having fellowship with us and your joy is full, you know what you're not doing? Not pursuing a life of sin! While recognizing that you will still continue to sin on a daily basis. That's a hard thing to think about, right? What's the difference between walking in light and walking in darkness and pursuing a life of sin and yet still sinning? Right? These are this requires discernment. Right? It does. I mean there's there's some there's some grotesque and vulgar and over the top vile behavior that there is no excuse for a child of God to engage in. Period. And yet sometimes we fall, find ourselves in that. Right? Don't stay there. Right? There is no justification or excuse in Scripture that says, well, this is just the way I am, and I can't help it, and I'm going to stay there. No. That's right. Okay? For whatever it is that you're struggling with, and me too. Right? No. Okay? I write these things unto you that you sin not, that you know that it's a problem, that you know and desire to walk in the light so that you can have a better fellowship and relationship, fellowship with the Father and with the Son and with your fellow believers, right? And that your joy may be full. Do you want joy in your life? Yes. Walk with the Lord. Walk in the light. Don't pursue sin. When you do sin, confess your faults. He's just and faithful to forgive you and go on seeking the light. If any man sin, if, when, if any man sin, we have an advocate. An advocate. That's it's an intercessor. Alright? This is a, you know the, the go-between, one who's pleading on your behalf. Who is it? An advocate with the Father? Jesus Christ the righteous. That's who's pleading your case. You know, if y'all had hired me to be your attorney, I don't know what the matter would have been. I might not have been a great attorney. Alright? I might not, not, not have been the best one to advocate on your behalf. You have the perfect advocate. When you sin, you're going to the advocate. And the advocate has a real special relationship to the Father. And he has a special relationship to you. You ever hired somebody you're just not really sure if they really cared about you? It's been six months. I haven't heard anything, right? What's going on with the case right now? He cares about you. He has a perfect and special relationship with the Father. And oh yeah, he already knows the outcome of the case. Because he's already paid for that sin too. Perfectly. And the Father accepted that. And there's not going to be injustice done. He is 
righteous. Jesus, right? Joshua is the Hebrew for that, right? Jehovah saves. The Christ, the anointed, right? The one who's had the Holy Spirit just pulled on, poured out upon him without measure, filled, fulfilled this role absolutely perfectly as the God who comes and saves, and he is the righteous, right? And he is the propitiation for our sins. Propitiation, that's a big word. You never used it in common vernacular. A synonym with that is atonement. But if you want to know what to propitiate means, it means to render favorable. That's your OED dictionary, your Oxford English Dictionary. To render favorable. By your sins... Could you on your own ever be favorable in the eyes of God? No. He is a holy and righteous God. And when you, just by a single sin, you have rebelled against Him and broken His law. You cannot on your own ever be rendered favorable in His eyes. And yet, the love that He put upon you when you were yet dead in your sins and still gross and vile... He sent His Son to stand in your spot to bear your sentence. And when that sentence was paid, you have now been rendered favorable. You have favor with God. By your own work? Not a chance. This is, this is grace, right? Grace is unmerited favor. You didn't earn it. But his favor has been put upon him. But that doesn't mean it was cheap. The propitiation, the one who paid the price, the one who atoned for you to make you now at one with God, is Jesus Christ. And he's the same one who's advocating for you. He is the propitiation for our sins. Not ours only, the writer and the reader of the letters there, whoever's written to, but also for the sins of the whole world. You know? You won't spend a whole lot of time on this today, but we recognize from the other verses that talk about election and God choosing a people and giving to himself that this whole world here, this whole cosmos that's being referenced refers to the whole family of God, right? Jew and Gentile, bond and Scythian, free or slave, all of them, all the believers throughout all time were paid by one sacrifice, all the sins. He was the propitiation for them. He was the one who rendered them all favorable again. This takes some of the stress and pressure and false I don't know, burden that you can put upon yourself by misunderstanding this truth. If I tell you, you must live a sin-free life in order to get to heaven... You're going to be miserable. Because every time you're going to fail. Every day, if you're honest with yourself. Sometimes you'll get that veneer where I'm like, okay, no, I'm, I'm good. No. Right? If that's the standard, will your joy be full? No. Will you feel like you've got close fellowship with the Father? No. Right? Because you're never good enough. But understanding the truth of who Jesus Christ is, that He's good enough, and His sacrifice was good enough, and his sacrifice continues to cover me even today. 
And because of that, I want to have a closer relationship, and so therefore I'm going to try to serve and please today and walk in the light and flee from sin. And when I sin, I confess that sin and I walk away from it. Right? So if you sin, you have an advocate. You have one who is pleading on your behalf. The same one that was the one who cleaned you up and rendered you favorable, not only for you, but also for the entire family of God. So who can you have a relationship with that's different than the rest of the world? We talked about this last week. Are the believers, right? There's something weird about y'all. Something different. Something that does not look or act like the world. Right? That's that common belief in the Son, the common desire to please Him and serve Him that you don't get naturally. That's a, that is a supernatural occurrence to be born again and to have eyes to see and hear what Jesus Christ has done and to believe that it applies to you. That's special. That's a revealing that only He can do. And hereby do we know Him. Know who? That advocate. How do we know that advocate? The one who's a propitiation. Hereby we do know that we know. Here's an assurance that we actually know him. If we keep his commandments. Do you want an assurance that you actually know the Lord? If you're keeping his commandments. You wouldn't do that if you didn't know him. Right? If we keep his his commandments... He that saith, I know him, yeah, I know the Lord, and keepeth not his commandments, he is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whosoever keepeth his word, in him verily is the love of God perfected, or rendered complete. Hereby know we that we are in him. There's a lot of no's that we could unpack, and I know I'm already 15 minutes over, so I know that I'll stop for today, and I know we'll pick it up next week, but I know that y'all will be reading this over the course of the week, and we'll have a good list of things that we know. So, thank y'all for your time and attention. Anybody know of a number? <laughs>